0: You are listening to the audio podcast of Gethsemane Baptist Church, located in Long Beach, California, pastored by Eli Reynolds. Bibles, please, this morning, let's go to 2 Samuel chapter 18, 2 Samuel chapter number 18 in your Bibles today. Thank you for being in church this morning. Hope it's a blessing to you. First Samuel, second Samuel chapter 18, please. And I want to just say thank you so much to all of you who helped serve at the country fair yesterday. And uh, if you did not know, we had uh, a group of people out here. We set up some, uh, some tents with some uh, goodies underneath it and games and things like that. I had people drive through a parking lot. I'd say we had between somewhere between 75, 80 cars come through. A lot of them, people just um, from our neighborhood. And we were able to be a blessing, give them a Bible at the end, a tract. Uh, they had uh, some information in there about Sunday school classes and things like that. And we had just a great spirit, a great team of people that worked on it. And uh, it, was, it was pretty awesome. Two of my neighbors came, and uh, I hadn't met one of them. They live behind us, so we don't have really access to their door from this side. But uh, they're like, oh, are you the guys that throw the balls over the fence all the time? Yeah, that's... That's us, that's our kids. And uh, so thank you for throwing them back and not popping them out of anger or something. So, But it was, it was neat to see that. So again, if you helped there, thank you so much. It really was something we were rejoicing about. And uh, I think it was just a great testimony of our church, for our community. And, uh, and I just enjoyed so much being able to do that. Second Samuel chapter number 18 this morning. And I'm looking forward to the message this morning, but I'm looking forward to tonight as well. And I, I would encourage you to come back tonight, because we have uh, our missionaries that we support to Chile, uh, Stephen Sandra Reyes will be, uh, are here, they he's preaching in the Spanish service right now, and uh, he's got, his uh, kids are in here with us today, and uh, then he'll be preaching tonight in the service, he's a great preacher, you'll, you will be blessed, you will enjoy it, 5 p.m. tonight. And uh, we get out at 6, it's an hour service, you will be blessed by coming, I encourage you, we're having a big men's group sing tonight as well, and uh, and you know, when you get a bunch of men, who knows how it's going to go? I mean, it could be it could be fantastic, it could be a train wreck, we got no idea, but we're going to be singing, it's going to be awesome, so come for the spectacle, and uh, stay for the preaching, all right? But uh, no, the guys are going to do a great job, they've been practicing, they've been practicing a lot, so we're looking forward to that tonight as well, but to invite you here for that. 2 Samuel chapter number 18, and I, I want to preach this morning, and stay with me as I give you the, the title here, it's going to... Gonna seem uh, a little bit negative, but we'll we'll get to some positive things at the end here. But I want to preach this morning, and I want to tell you the title so that you have it in your mind as we go through the scriptures. I want to preach on the pain of a fail of failed relationships, the pain of failed relationships. Second Samuel 18. Let's look at verse one. David numbered the people that were with him and set captains of thousands and captains of hundreds over them. David sent forth a third part of the people under the hand of Joab. Joab was his his general. Joab was the captain of his army, of David's army. And a third part under the hand of Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, Joab's brother. And a third part under the hand of Ittai, the Gittite. <clears throat> and the king said unto the people, I will surely go forth with you and myself also. So David, and I'll explain what is happening in just a moment, but there's a battle here. And David splits up his army into three groups. And David says, yeah, and you know what? I'm not sitting this one out. There was a time when David set out a battle. You remember that one? He set out that battle when kings were supposed to go forth into battle, and that's when he got into trouble with Bathsheba. David says, I'm not sitting this battle out. I'm going to battle Verse three, but the people answered, thou shalt not go forth. For if we flee away, they will not care for us. Neither if half of us die, will they care for us. But now thou art worth 10,000 of us. Therefore, now it is better that thou sucker us out of the city. So they're saying, look, David, they're coming to kill you. And if they get to you, their mission is accomplished. And all of us don't matter if they get to you. He said, now, if, if we're fighting them and we run away, they're not going to care about us. They're coming after you. So if you're on the battlefield, you're a liability. You're a liability. <clears throat> Verse number four. And the king said unto them, What seemeth what seemeth you best I will do? The king stood by the gate side, and all the people came out by hundreds and by thousands, and the king commanded Joab and Abishai and Atai, saying, Deal gently for my sake with the young man, even with Absalom. And all the people heard when the king gave all the captains charge concerning Absalom. So we've got several characters in the Bible here. Let me just briefly explain. So David's got his army. He's got his general Joab. He's got kind of a couple other generals there that he puts in charge. Abishai, who's Joab's brother, and then the And so he says, okay, we're going to split the army into threes. And here's what I want you to do. I don't want you to harm Absalom. Who's Absalom? Absalom's the enemy. Absalom is the guy trying to kill David. Absalom is the guy that chased David out of his kingdom and is now trying to murder him. Oh, and by the way, Absalom is David's son. David's son. Look, if you would, if you, at, at verse number 14. He says, don't kill Absalom. Verse 14. Then said Joab, I may not tarry thus with thee, after a little story takes place. And he took three darts in his hand, which would be like a mini spear. And thrust them through the heart of Absalom, while he was yet alive in the midst of the oak. So did David's general follow the commands of his, or David's captain, uh, uh, I should say, follow the commands of his general, of his commander-in-chief? No, he didn't. He went ahead and killed David's son anyway, ignored the orders and killed him. So the news gets back to David, if you'll look down a little bit further here, and then we'll pray, verse number 31. Verse 31. So now they didn't have cell phones back in the day. No one called up David. No one faxed him. No one even beeped him. Remember beepers? You remember beepers? I was too young for a beeper, all right, but I do remember them. Their communication was runners. They would have people run news. And so they had a couple guys run some news to David. One guy ran and And uh, he wasn't going to give any bad news. He was just like, I just wanted to run. And came and told David, yay, David, everything's great. He said, what about Absalom? Well, I don't know about that. Well, he did know. He just didn't want to tell him. So then the other guy comes, the bearer of bad news, which there's a great uh, spiritual uh, illustration in between these two here. you got one guy who's like, well, I don't want to say any bad news. And the other guy's like, it's truth, and you need to hear it. And we make some spiritual applications there with what we hear in churches today. I don't want to tell anybody bad news. I don't want to preach anything wrong. But the other guy's like, no, it's the truth, and we need to hear it. That's good stuff. And so he comes to David, verse 31. And, and behold, Cushai came, and Cushai said, Tidings, my lord, the king. Hey, I got some news for you. For the Lord hath avenged thee this day of all them that rose up against thee. And the king said unto Cushai, Is the young man Absalom safe? Now notice, David didn't ask about his, his men. He didn't say, Hey, are my guys safe? He said, Is Absalom safe? And Cushai answered, The enemies of my lord, the king, and all that rise against thee to do thee hurt, be as that young man is. Basically, he's dead. They took Absalom's body and threw it into a ditch and covered it with rocks. It was David's son. David's son. Verse 33 and the king was much moved. That word moved means grieved and anguish of heart. Much moved. And went up to the chamber over the gate and wept. Chamber over the gate, what does that mean? He was trying to get alone. He wasn't in Jerusalem, wasn't in his hometown. <clears throat> he was in another place hiding, and he, and he just had to get alone. He had to get by himself. And he went to the chamber and wept, and as he went, thus he said, Oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, would God I had died for thee. Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. He said, Absalom, why? Wait who's see he was saying, I wish I had died instead of you. I wish I could take your place. That's that Notice the grief and the sorrow in David's heart. How did it get to this? How did it get to this point? And, and maybe in scripture you're not familiar with the story. I want to tell you a little bit about it in a second. But how did it get from a father and a son loving each other to a civil war taking place? How do marriages get from some, a happy uh, situation where, the, where they stand at the altar, and they're all smiles, and the wedding party is all smiles? How does it get from that to civil war in the home? How does it get like that between a father and a son, or a mother and a daughter, a mother and a son, a father and a daughter, and, and there's a great relationship, and then something happens in the teenage years, or something happens later, and, and now there's civil war. Siblings are fighting. How about you and your friend? You were close for so long, and then now there's fighting. Your coworker it could be, how about a church member? And you were close for so long, and you knew that church member, and you hung out, and you spent time together, and now the relationship has failed. There's pain from that. There's pain, but, but how did it get there for David? Can I tell you something here about David? The truth is that David is grieving a lot more than a lost son. David is grieving a lost relationship that happened long before this event took place. A lost relationship. He's grieving his own actions, I believe. Why, would it, I would, uh, why couldn't I have died instead of you, Absalom? Now, I know that's the general reaction of a parent, right? We would, we would give our lives for our children, but there's more to this for David. I believe he's grieving his own actions. And I want to talk a little bit about the pain of a failed relationship, show you how this, how this got here, and then, then what to do about it. Father, bless, I pray, these next few moments. Use my voice. Strengthen us today by your word. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. We often think of David, the mighty giant slayer, the the man after God's own heart. We, We know that as David, but you know what David also was? David also had a large family. David was a father. David was a husband of many wives. And David was a great leader, but I tell you what, David made a lot of mistakes, Can we just be honest, because David was not perfect. Yes, David was a great man, and David has a lot to to look at in the Bible and and picture of Christ in many different ways, but David also made a lot of mistakes. He was human. He was human. He was an incredible leader, but a man with a failed marriage and a man with failed relationship with his children. Obviously, there were failures with his friends and, and his captain, Joab, who all the way, by the way, was also his nephew, so he had some family failures, he had friend failures, though his kingdom flourished, his family floundered. There are a lot of people in our world that trade their kingdom for their family, or I should say trade their family for their kingdom. They'll, they'll, uh, I see a lot of this with pastors and spiritual leaders, Well, they'll build a church and, and they'll see growth and things happening, but then their family falls apart. And I think to myself, what would I trade? I would gladly step down from ministry to be a a husband and father of my family. My family is more important than my ministry. We need to understand, your family is more important than your job. Oh, well, well, I have to have my job. You can have a lot of jobs. But I tell you what, you only get one family. Your family is more important. And and look, you, you say, well, that's, you know, God first. God is first in my life. And my ministry serving God is not my relationship with God. Let's get that straight for a second. Sometimes we think, well, i got to put God first, so i got to serve in that Sunday school class. No, 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 no. Your relationship with God in the sense of your walk with God is top. God first in that way, then your family, then your ministry. Your ministry and your relationship with God are two separate things. But we equate them, and they're not equated. Because what I'm saying is if you're too involved in ministry to take care of your family, then you need to back out of ministry. If you're too, if you're working overtime hours and just to get a little a couple extra bucks, but your your children are being disobedient, and they're not following, and they're rebelling, and they have they have something, then then stop working those extra hours. I mean, am I right on this? I'm, I'm seeing this biblically, right? And, I, and by the way, please today as I'm talking, I am not casting stones at people in here that have made mistakes. I've made mistakes. I'm not casting stones at you today. I'm warning those off who are in that situation, and I'm going to help those of you who've made some mistakes just a little bit, because we all have. I, I know a story. I know a very famous story. I've heard it multiple times of a pastor that, that was a, over a, a huge church, and he sat his teenage son, his young he wasn't even a teenager yet, he sat his son down, and he told him this. He said, son, I could be at your basketball games, and I could be at your baseball games, or I could go try to save America and preach and try to save this country. He said, you tell me what I should do. He asked his little boy this question. You tell me what I should do. Should I stay here and go to your basketball games? Should I stay here and, and go to your go to your baseball games? Or should I go try to reach and save our country? And, of course, the boy was like, oh, dad, you know, you should you should go try to save our country. I know that's not what the little boy probably wanted to say, but it's what he said. And can I tell you, the the, the fruit of that decision came out in the boy's life. Whether it was a good decision or not came out in the boy's life when he became a youth pastor at a very young age and had multiple affairs with teenagers in his youth department. Statutory rape is what we would call it. And he abused several people. I think it played out in a way that showed that it was a wrong decision. Great man, but a failed father a man with failed relationships, how do we get here with David? How do we get to the point where his own son is trying to kill him? Now, there are two sides to every story, and there are two responsibilities in every relationship. Because you can do everything right, and the other person can still choose wrong. And, or, or you can do everything wrong, and the other person can still choose right. So Absalom's not off the, off the hook here, but let's give a brief history. Can we go back seven to ten years in our mind biblically If we go back seven to uh, uh, ten years in our mind biblically, we'll get to uh, 2 Samuel chapter 13. You don't have to turn there. I'm going to just summarize. David had an older son named Amnon. Amnon was the son of a different lady than Absalom was. Amnon uh, was an older son. And then over here with this wife, David had Absalom and a daughter named Tamar. I won't get into the whole story. It's a sad story. You can read it in 2 Samuel chapter 13 if you want to later not right now but Amnon gets into his head that he needs to he needs to have Tamar in his bedchamber and do inappropriate things with her he gets that into his head that he just loves and, and lusts after this lady so much he has a friend that convinces him to just do whatever he wants to do so he tricks the young lady to get into his room and he forces her he rapes her that's that's say this is in the bible this is in the bible that was David's three children. You have Amnon over here, then you have Absalom and Tamar who are brother and sister, full-blooded brother and sister, then you have the half-brother Amnon. So you say, what, what did David do? Not much. Absalom tells Tamar, hey, and this is wrong too. He says, it was, it was your half-brother, don't even think about this thing, let's just let it go, let's just move on. That was wrong, that was wrong. Amnon was wrong, Absalom was wrong, David was wrong. It was all wrong. So Absalom is mad that this was happened to his sister. And now he's seeing dad not do anything about it. And Amnon's just getting away with it scot-free. And if you read the story, Amnon treated her much worse than even that. I mean, she was basically just to be in the tower, you know, at the house, never going to get married because of the cultural things at that time. It was really extremely, extremely wrong what was done to her. Absalom, by the way, who later names his daughter Tamar, he, he sees this. David doesn't deal with it. So what does Absalom do? He waits two years with vengeance and fury in his heart. For two years, he plots to kill Amnon. For two years. So he, he plots. He, he, he prepares. And what happens? Amnon, Absalom calls a meal. And calls for dinner to, to be had, and says, "Hey, let me invite my, let me invite Amnon, my brother." And so th- David lets Amnon go, and the whole thing was a hit. W- w- was like a, uh, what was it called a hit? Uh, he he pulled out a hit on on Amnon, and that day they came in, they killed Amnon. They killed he killed his brother. Absalom runs away. Now he's gone. How long is he gone? Three years. Three years. No word from David. Three years, no reaching out. Now, it does say that David's heart grieved for Absalom every day, but he didn't do anything. He didn't reach out. He didn't punish him. He didn't reach out and say, hey, come back home, let's make this right. Nothing for three years, for three years. So then Absalom, after all this time, convinces Joab, who again was the captain of the army there, convinces Joab to convince David to let him come back. And so David comes back, and, I'm sorry, Absalom comes back and, and, and gets back to the kingdom, to Jerusalem, but David won't see him. David won't let Absalom come into his presence, this is his own son, and he says, he can come back to the kingdom, but he's not going to see my face. So he doesn't forgive, he doesn't, he doesn't uh, uh, move on from this, he's just putting the problem away. And so for two more years, two more years, he doesn't see him. So now, after all this time has passed, what happens? By the way, I'll say this before I tell you the rest. I believe if David had acted differently right then, what's to follow would have never happened. I believe that if David had called Absalom back and made things right right then and restored and punished and restored and made everything, nothing that follows, I believe, would have happened. What happens after that? So Absalom comes back. David's kind of like, all right, kiss the hand. All right, you're forgiven. You're back in the kingdom. Now go do. You know, you embarrassed me. You know, you, 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 <laughs> I can't believe what you did, but you're, you're here. Now go off and do your own thing. So Absalom goes off and, you know, has been living with bitterness for years and goes off and decides, hey, I'm going to be a politician. I'm going to be a politician. The Bible says that Absalom from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet had no blemish in him. He would have been the most handsome, charismatic person you ever met. And so Absalom goes out and uh, he's standing in the, uh, he's a prince and he's standing out meeting people coming in Jerusalem. And he starts going, Hey guys, what you here for? And here's a prince coming out to greet people? Whoa. And they said, Well, we have a problem in our, and all these people come and say, Well, we've got a problem in our hometown and this is what's going on. And Absalom be like, Oh man, you're going to have to go in here and talk to some judge or something. Man, I'm, I'm so sorry to hear that. Yeah, you know, politicians make promises and stuff no they don't yeah they do they lie and he stood there and he's like you know if i if i was in a position to help you man i'd be on your cause right now i'm on your team guys i'm on team you know jephthah or whatever the guy's name was you're coming into town you know i'm on i'm on that team and you know and he's probably holding babies and kissing them probably has some poster signed to hand out you know who knows what he was doing you know but uh not really. But he's having these people come in and he's saying, man, there's nobody, there's nobody deputed of the king to help you. Man, if only I was in charge, I, I would right these wrongs. I'd right these wrongs. He wins all these people to him. He wins all these people. The Bible says he steals the hearts of the men of Israel. He builds up enough people. He gets a counselor of David's on his side, That's mad and bitter at David because David took his granddaughter Bathsheba away. And he gets Ahithophel on his side, and he forms this coup, and he overthrows David, kicks him out of the kingdom, and tries to kill him. He was really just doing it all to kill David, if you read it. Like, he was really just bitter at David. But, but that's the story we just read. Now his life ends, and now David is mourning. So now do you think, after seeing all that, do, do you think David was weeping about more than just the son that he lost? There's a failed relationship there's decisions that David made that, he, that uh, he's regretting. No wonder David's grieving. I wonder here today, I, I would probably say, and I, I think I could say with confidence that everyone in the room today has probably had in some form or shape a failed relationship. A failed relationship of some kind. We have. Could be a dad, or a mom, a spouse, a friend, a sibling, a, a church member, a, a high school girlfriend or boyfriend. I mean, there's so many different relationships that, that have so much promise and then they fail. Some of the most painful things we can experience on earth are not physical pains, but emotional pains. You know, if you're a parent, the pain that you feel when your child is sick or when they're going through something is a different type of pain than when you're going through it. It's a different type of pain. So what do you do? Some of the things I'm going to give you today briefly will be preventative, in other words, to help you not to have failed relationships, but a couple things are curative. What do you do if you have those, those things? I only have four things I want to share, but, but I want to give you some thoughts this morning, briefly, on thoughts for, about, about failed relationships. Can I just talk to you about this for a minute? Number one, I want to say this. Face problems. Don't flee them. Face problems. Don't flee them. Our tendency, now some of you, you have the tendency to face problems that aren't there. You like to create problems. And you like to say, is there a problem? No. Well, now there is. All right. That's, that's some of you have that in you. Other people in here, if you get a whiff of a problem, if you sense that someone may not be exactly happy, you're like, well, let's leave them alone. They need some time. They need some, And you're walking away. Can I say there should be a balance somewhere in there? Where, where you don't just let things slide? Well, Parents, how, how, how would your kids be if when you grew up you just said, Hey, hey, just do whatever you want. This is a free home. Have free reign here. You want to throw some mashed potatoes? Then throw the mashed potatoes. You want to have candy all day? Have candy all day. What is that going to do? I mean, that, that, that's not going to be good. You, sometimes you got to face the problems. Mom, Dad, I, I, met, I met this guy at school. Well, he's a senior and I'm a freshman. and He's got the leather jacket and the motorcycle, you know. So, okay, yeah, I'm glad you met him. You'll never see him again. I'm going to kill him tonight. You know, whatever. Like, sometimes you got to face some problems and not just uh, allow them to happen. David avoided dealing with Amnon. He didn't deal with it. The Bible never tells us that he dealt with Tamar at all. After the fact, she was abused. And then he refuses to deal with Absalom several times. So what is he doing? He's not facing problems, which is amazing to me when you think about who David was. My father-in-law went to Israel several years ago, and he brought back a rock, and he put it on a plaque. And if like you just heard that, you'd be like, okay, that's just the strangest thing. But uh, the rock is actually, he got it from the stream where David gathered the rocks to throw at Goliath and kill him in the valley of Elah. He got this rock out of that stream, the same stream that David did, and must have like super glued it on here or something. And this is what he wrote. And it says on the back, I chose this smooth stone for you out of the brook in the valley of Elah where David slew his giant. This is in 2008. On the front, he has my name, and it says Eli. He misspelled it. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) He didn't. He's my father-in-law. He said, Eli... May you always face and fight the giants in your life. I like it. I have it on my desk. It's always there. May you always face and fight the giants in your life. You know what this this rock represents to me? The rock represents the fact that David killed a giant. But you know, not all giants are on the battlefield. Some giants are at home. And the same David that killed a giant, for some reason, couldn't face down the same giants in his home. He couldn't face down the big issues with his kids. He couldn't face down the big issues with his wife, Michael. He couldn't face down the big issues in his very own house. But man, he could go out and conquer. He could go out and win. He could go out and be David, be the the mighty king. But for some reason, David got no stones for the giants in his own home. He killed no giants in his own house. I remember years ago, six years ago to be exact, a little over six years ago, the church, I've told this story before, I've told it several times, but it just it sticks with me. When the church was interviewing me to be pastor, and I was paying them super large sums of money to let me be pastor. And, uh, and they, they were interviewing me, and uh, we were in the conference room back over here, and I remember they had this group of, of men in our church, all serious, you know, sitting down there trying all right, Eli, we need to ask you some questions. And I, I was like, whew, I was feeling a little intense, you know, at, at the moment there. And some of you that are in the room, you were in that meeting. And, uh, and I was taking it serious too because I was like, I don't know if God wants me here or not either. I know I'm going to pastor somewhere. And uh, so I sat down in there, and they just went around, they started asking me questions, they were asking me like doctrinal questions, and, and different things like that, what teams I like, and I said Dodgers, so I'd get, so I'd get voted in, and uh, I said all this kind of stuff, and we got all, I didn't, I'm just kidding, they didn't ask me that, but we got biblical questions, we got all, and, and it was deacons and men from our church, and we got all the way to the end, and at the end of that row was Fred Dickinson, and then the next, next to him, sitting off kind of to the side behind me, was Frank Harrington, and some of you know Frank Harrington. By the way, let's pray for Frank Harrington and Sandy Harrington. Let's reach out to them. They're still part of our church. They just can't make it. So let's remember to do that, okay? But uh, that was just a little free, free tidbit there. And Frank's sitting next to me, and he's got that thick Texas accent. He says, I just have one question for you, Eli. Are you willing to make the tough decisions, the tough choices? And I sat there, and I thought, I was like, that's a hard question. And I said, well... I know that I have to be. Because I know that if I don't face the problems, they just come back bigger. And that was my, but can I say that's easy to say? But then you're faced with problems. I'll never forget that, that question, though, being floated to me are you willing to make the tough decisions? Can I ask you this morning are you willing to face the giants in your home? Are you willing to face the giants in your relationships? Are you willing to make, to face the problems and the tough times? Look, you can't solve arguments when you're getting into a discussion. We'll call them discussions, okay? Discussions with your spouse. You can't solve them by storming out of the room every time. Do we, do we know this? That doesn't solve anything. Well, when I come back, we just forget about it. That doesn't mean it was dealt with. It's just going to come back again. Kids, storming out of the room. Oh, Let them go cool down, and then tomorrow we'll just forget it ever happened. Let's just sweep it under the rug. Yeah, because that never brings problems. That's sarcasm. It does bring problems. Face the problems. It's uncomfortable. It's more uncomfortable later when you're regretting it and weeping the lost relationship because you didn't face the problem. Face the problem. Don't flee the problems. Number two, can I say this? What do we learn from this story? Forgive wholeheartedly. Forgive wholeheartedly. David invites Absalom back. He allows him to come back but then there's this whole thing where David's like, but I don't want to see his face. So he forgives, but not really. And then two years later, he, uh, here, here comes Absalom, and he finally gets to see the king, and he's like, all right. He, you know, kisses him on the face, you know, just kind of a greeting, and then, all right, go on, do your thing. So, I, yeah, I've forgiven you. You ever had that? You, you, you know, maybe, maybe it was you that did it, and you're like, yeah, I, I totally forgive you. I'm still mad as ever at you, and I hate you, but I forgive you. <laughs> I forgive you. I, I want to stab you, but I forgive you. you know, that, that, that's not the, the type of forgiveness that we see scripturally. That's not the, the type of forgiveness that we see in Christ. Because I'll tell you what, forgiving wholeheartedly, if you do anything less, you're not forgiving at all. It's either wholehearted forgiveness or it's not forgiveness. You either do it or you don't. That's, that's how it works. The whole, this whole business of, well, I'm working to forgive. Okay, work it. And forgive. Forgive. And just make the decision. It's not something that you feel, it's something that you do. It's something that you decide, I'm going to do, I'm going to forgive. And tomorrow when I wake up and the feelings come back, I'm going to remember, oh yeah, I forgave that, so that's gotta die. And then the next day when you get up and the feelings come back, I have forgiven this, I'm moving on. And eventually, the feelings won't come back. But you decide, I'm forgiving. I'm forgiving. Humble yourself. That's what forgiveness really takes. Is humbling yourself the bible says forgive even as god for christ's sake has forgiven you forgive that way forgive that way he was innocent we sinned against him but yet he forgave us and you have people that are sinning against you but you're not innocent either forgive maybe by the way maybe you need to seek forgiveness and you know it and you need to seek forgiveness from someone you ever ask your kids for forgiveness or a family member you know, when I was younger, if I asked my brother, I'm sorry, Zoe, I did this wrong, forgive me. Like, oh, get, out of here. get out of here. You don't slap me. Get out of here. As I'm older now, I find it as very, uh, you want to talk about eating some humble pie, and apologize to your, to your seven-year-old. Okay, dad, dad shouldn't be yelling at people. I'm sorry, you know. (laughs) Sorry, you saw that or whatever, you know. Whatever it may be, Uh, you know uh, that I I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have uh, uh, responded that way. I'm apologizing. Uh, Whatever it may be, uh, and I I can't think of a situation. I I have apologized millions of times. It seems like though, I tell you, it's not fun. But I don't want my kids growing up thinking Dad was never wrong. Oh, Dad made mistakes, but he just never apologized. Never one time said I'm sorry. I don't want that to be the case. Forgive wholeheartedly. Why? Because if not, the bitterness continues. What, what are we doing with failed relationships? Face your problems, don't feed, flee them. If there's been some failed relationships, maybe people have failed you, forgive. Maybe you failed others, seek forgiveness. Face the problems, forgive wholeheartedly. Can I say thirdly, figure out a path forward. You have to figure out a path forward. There is some finality to the failed relationships uh, in life at times. Maybe in your life, there's something happened and there's a finality about it. They're not coming back. They're not communicating with you anymore. Maybe they've passed away. What do you do? What do you do? The only thing you can do, which is move forward. Someone asked William Carey a long time ago, great missionary to India, how did you get through losing your wife? How did you get through losing all the work that you've done? You translated all these Bibles and all these, these lexicons and dictionaries, and they were lost in a fire. How do you keep going back when you've had malaria and all these different diseases? How are you doing this? And he said, I owe it all to one thing, the fact that I can plod. I can just put one foot in front of another and keep walking forward. Hey, you know what you do when there's been a failed relationship, when there's been issues in your life, and maybe you're living with that? You're in a broken home, a broken relationship, failed marriage, and I'm not not casting stones at you. I'm saying if that's happened, what do you do? You have to figure out a path forward. And the fact that you're in church today makes me excited for you. This shows me that, hey, you're trying to do it the right way. You're you're figuring out a path forward, and you're putting God at the forefront of it, which means you're going to end up in a great destination. Put God in front of you and walk that way. God did not give us the ability to time travel. When you got saved, you did not get that ability to go back in time and change those things that happened and to fix what needs to be fixed and all that. So why do we keep trying to change what we said here or there? Don't live in the past. You gotta, yes, get it right if you can, but face the future. I wanna tell you that God's still got a plan for you. How How do you know that, pastor? You're still breathing, God has a plan for you because you're still breathing. He's got something for you to do. David's life wasn't over when Absalom died. He just wished it was. He just wished it was. David still had a job to do. You know what he had a job to do? He had a job to be a king. He had a job to be a husband. And he had a job to be a father to a young man named Solomon. He had a job to do. God still had a purpose for his life. I'm going to tell you that no matter what the relationship is in your life that failed, and maybe it's a friendship relationship and it ended and you feel like your world's falling apart, maybe there's somebody suddenly passed and you didn't get to, whatever it was, God still has a plan. And you've got to face forward. You've got to keep walking forward. Walk on for Jesus. That's what you've got to do. I'm going to tell you lastly today, some thoughts here that I see from David's life. Face problems, don't flee them. Forgive wholeheartedly. Figure out a path forward. And lastly, I'd say this, fix what you can now. Fix what you can now. If there is still time, in whatever relationship it is, fix it. And maybe the relationship will not be restored back to what it was. There's been a divorce and all this stuff. And maybe it won't get back to exactly how it was, but it can get better. And it can get healed. And you can move on. If you still have kids in the home, is there something that needs to be made right? Teens, if you're holding something against your parents, is there something that needs to be made right? Right? Do you still have parents alive that wronged you and and things need to be said or things need to be made right? Do you still have that friend's phone number? Do you still attend the same church as that someone? Then I would say fix it. Fix it because there's gonna come a day where you can't say what you need to say anymore. There's gonna come a day where you can't do what you need to do anymore and that day for David's life was a sudden day. David said, nobody harm Absalom. So what was David thinking? That no one's gonna harm Absalom. And then Joab goes and murders him In war, in battle, and it was probably a good thing, to be honest with you, but he disobeyed. And now there's finality for David. David sorrowed because there was no hope of fixing his mistakes with Absalom anymore. He probably always thought, you know what? I need to bring Absalom back. He was grieving every day for him. So he probably thought, one day I'm gonna bring Absalom back and and I I need to make it right. Maybe he thought that over and over again, I need to make it right. I need to reach out to Absalom. I know it's not right, but I don't know how he felt for years. I want to say do what you can now, because you know what? Absalom was dead, buried in a ditch, and he wasn't coming back. He wasn't coming back. Say what needs to be said. Okay, pastor told me to go cuss out my dad. No, I didn't. Okay, don't do that, okay? But fix what needs to be fixed. Do what needs to be done. Don't have regrets that you refuse to humble yourself. No, I've seen so many people that their marriage failed, and I, and, I, and I look at that relationship and I say, you know what, if you would have, if one, usually one spouse, if you would have tried harder a year ago, this wouldn't have happened. But what happens is, there's threats, and there's threats, and there's threats, and then the spouse leaves, and then the other spouse is like, oh, I'll change. You had 20 years. You had all this time. And now you're waiting, and now that it's gone from you, and now that you're feeling the sting, you want to say, oh, I'm willing to, hey, I'm willing to change, but you know, okay, well, you're the one that's walking out then. No, you, you had time. I'm not here to talk about, you know, the, 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 the ins and outs of all that and what's right and what's wrong. But I'm saying so many marriages could have been spared and saved if someone had gone to their spouse and said, hey, let's work on this. Absalom, I don't think would have ever went into the, trying to kill his own father if David at one point in his life would have come back and said, Absalom, I've done wrong by you. Hey, let's get this right. I don't think it would ever happen. I think David is to blame for a lot of that. And I'm not not trying to judge David. I'm saying I think this is what it is, the case biblically, and God included this for a reason in the Bible. Don't live with those regrets that you didn't make it right. Don't have the regrets of the last thing you sang being something harmful. I've told our teens this story many times. I read the news of a daughter 14 years old, was in the kitchen with her mom and just, you know, screaming at her mom, so angry before school. Her mom's sitting there making lunch for her. She puts her lunch in the backpack and the daughter says, you know, what? I wish you were dead. The daughter walks out, gets in the bus, and at that moment, her mom drops out of a heart attack. She comes back to hear that the last thing she said to her mom was, I wish you were dead. She got her wish. But can I tell you, when she got what she wanted, she didn't want what she got. I'm sure, How do you even cope with that? How do you even deal with that? You may not be able to fix everything, but can you fix something in a relationship? Can you take the first step? Can you show the initiative? My pastor told me a long time ago, I'll tell you this and I'll pray. My pastor told me this a long time ago when I was gonna talk to someone about forgiveness and, and I, I forget if I was forgiving them or if I needed forgiveness, I forget the whole thing. But uh, he said, here's what you do. Oh yeah, I think I was seeking forgiveness. He said, when, when, you're, when you're seeking forgiveness, here's what you do. He said, you go to them, you own up to it. You say it. What you did wrong. You ask for forgiveness, not just "I apologize." Did you just turn into like a 17th century Englishman right there? All of a sudden, you, you're gonna you gonna bring your teeth. Like we use these words, you know, and all this kind of stuff. No, it's, I'm I, 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 I have done thee wrong. You know, no, I apologize. Forgive me. I was wrong. Those are the words you say. Those are the words you say. And then he said, and I said, well, what if they don't forgive me? He said, you leave the ball in their court because you did everything you could. I wonder today, this is a hard message to preach, by the way, because it's just hard because I know many people in here, you've suffered. you suffered through relationships that have, that, have, that have hurt you, that maybe you've hurt others. And, and I've been in relationships, both kinds as well, you know, just friends or whatever through the years where they have failed for one reason or another, and I wonder today, can I just ask, is there a relationship that you're currently in with anybody that it could be that needs your attention because it's failing? Hey, you better face those problems. They only get bigger. The giants only grow if you don't face them and fight them. I wonder if there's some that here today that you've been harboring some unforgiveness, and maybe the relationship was over a long time ago, but you still aren't letting it go. Who's that hurting? It's only hurting you. Maybe some of you need to seek forgiveness from somebody because you know you did them wrong, and you need to humble yourself. Maybe for some of you, the relationship's been over, but you gotta figure out a way to move forward with Christ. And then lastly, if there's somebody here and and, uh, you know something has happened, whatever it may be, fix what you can now. How's your relationship with the Lord, by the way? How's that going? Do you need to go to him? Is there some problems in your own life you need to face? I'm gonna let the Lord speak to you on that front. But today, the pain of a failed relationship is a real deal. So let's do something about it. Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for forgiveness. We need it. Lord, we fail you every day. We fail our relationship with you every day because of our